Hello there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, aka Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. Speeding bullet in the great hall of the Justice League, Spider Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is What's in Head Long Box. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. And welcome back to this segment of What's in Head's Long Box. Today, we are continuing my multi-epic look at the Armageddon 2001 crossover, for better or worse. And today we're looking at the new teens. Try that again. We're looking at the new Titans Annual. They dropped the teens by this point. Uh, this was the new Titans Annual number seven. But before I bring you that book, let me go ahead and introduce uh, the people I have on my podcast this episode. Uh, for the first time, I have the wonderful Tom Panarese. Hey, Tom. Hey, how are you doing? Doing good. It's a pleasure to finally speak with you. And like I said before we got recording, I have listened to your show, so it seems like we've talked before, but I just realized, you know what? No, this is the first time we've actually talked face to face in quotes. <laughs> yeah, I've felt that way about a number of people in uh, in our little podcasting herd. You know, it's just I I feel like I know like you guys way more than I've actually spent talking to a lot of you guys. So I, I totally know where you're coming from. And also joining us this episode, I'm bringing back Mr. Clinton Robinson. Hey, hey, Aaron. How's it going? Hi, Tom. Doing good. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Nice to meet you, finally. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have you back, Clinton. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. So, before we get going to the actual show, we've already talked with uh, Clinton in the past, so let's uh, introduce you to Mr. Panarese. Tom, why don't you tell everybody out there a little about your comic book origins, how you got into comics, things like that. Um, My... <sighs> My first kind of foray into comics was about 86 to 87 with G.I. Joe, the Transformers, and a few other comics. But my, my real, like, where I got sucked in and hung on for the better part of, well, where are we up to? About, probably about 37 or 38 years. Or, no, 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 not 30. We're not up to 30 yet. We're up to no. We're up to tw- I can't do math. I teach English. 28, 27, 28 years. We're almost 30. It was about 1990. And um, a friend of mine had loaned me a lonely place of dying and a death and the death in the family trade. 
because I had heard of the Jason Todd getting killed thing because I had been, you know, in the two or three years since I stopped reading, you know, G.I. Joe, I had flitted in and out of the comic store on occasion. I would pick up a book here and there. And Batman had come out the year before the film. So um, a couple of people I knew were really getting back into it. And so he, he my friend loaned me that. He loaned me um, A Lonely Place of Dying. And then a few random other books he had. I remember the two-parter from Detective that uh, introduced Anarchy um, very vividly. And, and I remember loving that. And so um, I started picking up the books with uh, my first Batman issue was Batman 452 Night Dark City storyline. And then my first, but what I was really, really focused on was Detective at the time because um, my first issues were 617 and 618. And 617 was this really strange Joker story, but 618 was where Tim Drake's parents got kidnapped. So, I was doing Batman and Detective, and then um, the same friend who loaned me Lonely Place of Dying said, you know, you should pick up New Titans because that's where Nightwing is. And I knew who Nightwing was because I knew he was Dick Grayson, et cetera, et cetera. So I, my very first issue of New Titans was New Titans number 71, which is the very first part of the Titans Hunt storyline, which leads into the annual where uh, we're going to be reading here. So um, it really started there, and then um, – I, I don't think I would have considered like hang on as long as I did if uh, another guy down the street from me hadn't been kind of offloading a ton of his comics and I picked up a bunch and they were a bunch from like the late or mid to late 80s but one of them was Crisis on Infinite Earths number 12 and I read the cover off that book and I was like you know what I'm going to go back and get all the other 11 issues so by the time Armageddon 2001 rolls around. I was like really into the whole idea of the DC universe uh, because a lot of what I saw in crisis reminded me of what I used to watch on like the super friends and the superpowers, like, you know, all this stuff when I was, when I was younger. So, um, and I kind of never really looked back. I mean, my friend and I used to write letters into the Titans and we're really into Robin and, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't read the Titans anymore. I stopped Right at the end of the old 52, not the old, the, the old DC rep pre new 52. And I don't pick up a lot of DC now, to be completely honest with you, but I still do read comics and, and have a lot of, of trades. Not as many comics as I used to, but a lot of graphic novels and trade paperbacks. Right on. And uh, so you said you did pick up, you started re- reading the Titans right before this story. Mm-hmm. So you picked up the Armageddon 2001 annual. Did you read the entire Armageddon 2001 at that time? Yeah, I was more or less in on this from the ground floor. I might have had to pick up a... I picked up a second printing of... It might have been the Batman or the Superman annual, because I think my comic shop sold out of them pretty quickly, and and being that I was... um, I was about, this is 1991, so I was about 13, 14 at the time, so my my funds were pretty limited in terms of like, you know, what I could afford to buy um, month to month. So an annual was a decent amount of money. I got Armageddon 2001 number one off the, off the rack. And then I would eventually get the second printing of, it might've been both the Batman and Superman annuals. And then I went flat out was along for the ride all the way up to number two. And I had figured out what I thought was the identity of Monarch 
because at the time this was going on, I was also reading the War of the Gods crossover, and there was a book that was ending, and I was like, oh, this guy's going to be Monarch. It all makes sense. And then they, the ending was what I didn't expect, and there's a reason behind that, but I'm sure you'll get to that at a later date. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll talk about yeah. that at some point, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So this is my, this is really my first, this is actually really my first DC crossover, like that I was live for. Right on, that's always, it's always special. Mm-hmm. Actually, mine was Invasion. Mm. So, uh, I'm sure this holds, much like Invasion holds a special place in my heart, I'm sure this is kind of yeah. special then. Yeah. yeah. Your first big crossover. Yeah, even despite the ending, I love this crossover. Yes, yeah, so same here. That's why I'm devoting, I'd say, a year and a half of my podcast life mm-hmm. to it. But, let's... <laughs> Hey, we've already talked quite about all this, so let's go ahead and move on to the actual comic itself. Uh, we're looking at the new Titans Annual number 7. This was covered in 1991. Divide off the stand. You had to be buying comics August the 6th of 1991. It's my sister's birthday. Was 350. <laughs> oh, happy birthday to her. This was her birthday yes. present. <laughs> Whether it's a good or bad present, we'll find out here in a little bit. <laughs> uh, you're talking about the price of the annuals. This was 350. Yeah. And the title of this story was called 2001, A Titan's Odyssey. Written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Tom Greinberger, Eaker, Will Bleiberg, Eaker was Alan, I'm sorry, Ian Aiken, uh, also as Al Vey, letter John Costanza, colors Adrian Roy, and editor was Jonathan Peterson. And the cover was done by Tom Greinberg. Uh, these are my notes on this. Uh, this story takes place at the tail end of the Titan's Hunt storyline, which started in New Titan 71, and ended around issue 84. And Tom mentioned that earlier. I actually like the Titan Sense story for the most part. I have some problems with the ending, but that's another story entirely <laughs> for a different podcast without doing it at some point. The synopsis for this issue. As per most of these stories, our tale starts with Wave Rider thinking his past in the future. He wonders if the Titans are bound to become monarch, so he goes to find them who are currently battling the Wildebeest Society. Wave Rider possesses one of the Wildebeest and touches a captured Nightwing. Ten years in the future, we find a ponytail Nightwing fighting some drug dealers slash makers, something like that. His fellow Titan, Red Wing, swoops in and assists him. The police show up and attempt to arrest our heroes as they oppose Lord Chaos. The two Titans make their escape. With teammate Kilowatt's help, they evade the police skimmers and return to their HQ, which is a destroyed Batcave. Here we find the rest of the team as they discuss their plans to take on Lord Chaos and that the original Titans are believed to be dead. We also find out that there are other teen Titans out there and their boss, in quotes, keeps them separated. Terra shows up with a coded message, letting the team know where to go next. We then find ourselves in a meeting with Lord Chaos and his board, where we find out that he is keeping the populist drug and sedated. The Titans attack Chaos's floating base, and as expected, are winning the battle. Seeing this, Lord Chaos sets the craft to self-destruct with his board on board. And of course, the Titans escape. Later, Charlie tells Nightwing that the Titans are indeed dead at the hands of the Wildebeest, who was wiped out by Lord Chaos. To add insult to injury, Nightwing finds out that Chaos's HQ is at the site of the old Titans HQ. As the team infiltrates the base, they are confronted by Lord Chaos. Chaos takes the team out and then monologues to, the, to them, letting Nightwing know that yes, his friends were all killed, except for Don Troy, who was pregnant with him. After a little more exposition, we find out that Lord Chaos has teamed up with aliens who he's agreed to help. A little more fighting, and the Titans take out Chaos's building, even though Lord Chaos escaped. We return to the present as Wave Rider realizes, realizes that Nightwing isn't Monarch. 
he thinks how these other Titans are real, they're not just a part of Nightwing's potential. The story ends with an epilogue of the future Titans as a mysterious leader says they need to travel to the past to kill Wonder Girl. Troya, Donna Troy, whoever. To be continued. And real quick before we go off this issue, some after effects on this. Spoilers! <laughs> During the Zero Hour event, Kilowatt, Red Wing, Dagon, also known as Knight Rider, Pressure John, and Battalion are all revealed to be from a false timeline created by the villainous Monarch to act as a sleeper agent assassins during the time crisis. When Monarch, who had turned himself into the time villain extant, which is, I guess, spoilers for futures stories, is defeated, his false futures are destroyed, and the heroes from these futures are erased from existence. Mirage, Terra, and Deathwing survive. It is later established that they are from the current timeline and were shown through time and given false memories by the Time Trapper, who wished to use them as sleeper agents against Extant. Which gets a little confusing, but uh, we'll deal with that later. <laughs> so let's go ahead and look at the actual comic itself before we do anything else. Like I normally do, we're going to look at the cover. The cover of this one's got the trade dress Armageddon 2001 along the top, the new Titans. We see Monarch in the background. In front of them, we see Nightwing and the rest of his Teen Titan group. Uh, we got our cover blurbs on here. They're here at last, introducing the all-new, all-great Teen Titans. But what is the relationship to Monarch? The answer may stun you. And I'll address that in a little bit. Let's go and talk about the cover. Uh, Tom, what do you think about this cover? I think, um, in hindsight, it's clever that they ended up, when we go, we fast forward three years to zero hour, that they ended up kind of going all the way back this, to this cover to wrap up the, the team, what was, that would then become the team Titans. Um, because, you know, uh, behind the scenes stuff and, and what you can read in, uh, uh, online as well as um, the tomorrow's book, the Titans Companion, and interviews with John Peterson and, and um, uh, Marv Wolfman, and then Jeff Jensen and Phil Jimenez, who took over the book at some point. Like Monarch was never originally supposed to be the leader of the Titans, um, and uh, but they, you know, because they were canceling the book, they basically they, DC was like, well, you know, this works, do it. And introduce Monarch because the the original leader was actually I believe it was supposed to be Danny Chase, uh, and and Peterson wanted to make Danny Chase cool, but um, which is really really hard because he is the cousin Oliver of the Titans, but um, <laughs> but I, this is I, I think it's a really effective book uh, cover especially because um, the blurbs is something they had been doing since issue like seventy one. Um, where they put some sort of like, like 75 was one of those classic, like Dick ripped the, the mask off of a wildebeest. And it was one of those classic, you, I can't believe it covers. I think he actually says, not you. <laughs> and in the end of that issue, it's revealed that Jericho is the leader of the, of the wildebeest. And then, you know, so they put these like crazy, like blurbs, like, you know, introducing Pantha and Phantasm and, um, and it was to get you like excited for what was in, inside. It was just almost like a very, very Stan Lee Marvel type of approach. And I, it worked. I mean, the, the books, the book started um, when Peterson took over the book with issue. I think it was issue like 70, 69 or 70 or whatever. The book was basically on the verge of cancellation. And Peterson was uh, Mike Carlin's assistant editor at the time. And Carlin had been editing the book. So, you know, they gave it to Peterson because it was like, you know, we're probably going to cancel this book. Here's a tryout for an, for a term as an editor, you know, and if you do well enough, maybe we can get you a more high profile book or whatever. It's clearly like, you know, this thing's on its last legs. Let's give it to the kid to see how well he does with it. And he, and, and it took off and it, it, it 
it really did sell very well, especially once they got the shipping issues and deadline issues worked out. At the end of issue 79, there, they reveal the teen, these teen Titans are revealed because um, through the through the last few issues, like 77, 78, 79, there have been kind of interludes, like a page here, a page there, a panel here, a panel there of like somebody's lurking in the background and they're communicating with these wristbands and like we don't know who they are. And there's been all this mystery surrounding the wildebeest and the titans and all this stuff. Like this is just another layer to it. And the last page of the issue 79 is reveals that not only are these the teen titans, but Terra is one of them. And it was just this like, wait, what the, like nobody saw this coming. And it was just so, and this led right into the annual and then the annual leads right into issue 80 and then you have this War of the Gods crossover for eighty one, and then you have the first the the, the three parter that ends the whole Titans hunt. So, um, this is really effective considering if you were a Titans fan, you had just been blown away by the end of seventy nine, and this came out right after it. So I, I, you know, they they knew they knew where they were coming from with this. Very much so. Very good. And Clinton, uh, what are your thoughts on this cover? <laughs> Uh, this cover, you know, I wasn't reading Teen Titans at the time, obviously, or New Titans or whatever you wanted to call it. The cover really hooked me, though, especially, you know, once I actually really got into DC and learned that Nightwing was Dick Grayson all grown up. So I'm like, OK, you know, reading about Dick Grayson, doing this, hanging out with Titans. OK, cool, cool. And then I see the ad and I don't even remember what issue it was, but, you know, with some comic that had the, this is one of the you know out this month ads and i'm seeing nightwing just charging along with this captain america shield and a gun mm-hmm. and all these people who apparently are not the titans and i'm like oh, okay what the heck is going on and of course you know being oh, 11 12 years old at the time i was <laughs> i was an easy mark for the the dark alternate future and all that and it's like, oh, my God, this is what's going to happen in the future of the comic. Okay. And it took forever to track this down because, I mean, I'm I'm hunting LCSs left and right, you know, checking out back bins. Believe it or not, this was at one time a hard book to come across people. <laughs> the, the, those early Titans Hunt issues are not plentiful in back issue bins i found either i don't know if they were low print runs or, or what but well probably as poor as that you were doing it probably i probably didn't have a high print run yeah. At that point yeah i'm not sure i was buying titans at that point i was actually enjoying it so i, I don't know but <clears throat> as far as my thoughts i say yeah you said it's a great cover i say we get the titans of the future in quotes and get if you're an old titans fan you'll see terror on there like what the heck mm-hmm. nightwing in his new costume with the, the shield and the gun it just makes you, what the heck's going on here? My only problem, in quotes, with the cover is, as we talked about, you know, and again, it's it's very, as you said, Tom, very Stan Lee-ish, you know. But what is the relationship to Monarch? The answer may stun you. Unless I miss something, they don't really give you the answer to that in this book, though. No, they don't. Uh, and that's, I mean, and I don't mind a slow burn, but yeah, when you have it on the, the cover, you know. What is the answer? What is the relationship? The answer may stun you. Well, when you get to the answer, yeah, I don't know about having it on here though. In fact, we'll get to that here in a little bit about the whole mark in it. But uh, as a cover by itself, I really like this. Mm-hmm. 
Let's go ahead and get some gradings on this, though. Uh, Tom, on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 being horrible, 3 being a pretty good cover, and 5 being fantastic, uh, what would you give this book? I'd probably give it about a, the cover about a 4. Um, I think that you're right. Like, when you get to the end of it, you're like, well, there is no real relationship to Monarchs, so you kind of misled me there. As a sales point, it's, it's really good. I like the looming... I like how Monarch frames the Titans busting yes. out there. Um, Grinberg's Grinberg's drawings could have little used a little more detail on some of the figures of the Titans themselves. Um, right. But overall, I thought it was a. I thought I would give it a four. It's not. It's not like my favorite cover of this era, but it's definitely uh, eye catching. Very nice. And uh, Clinton, what are your what would you give this cover on a one to five? Um, I gotta agree with Tom. It's it's a four. Uh, it does everything that it sets out to do. It captures your interest. Like I said, I wasn't reading it, but it drew me in. Again, a lot of the figures are lacking detail, but I'm it, if they wanted to retouch it and blow it up to poster size, I wouldn't mind hanging it up uh, on my <laughs> wall. <laughs> And I'm going to agree with both of you guys. I'll have to give it a four also. I do agree that, yeah, some of the figures could use some detailing. Uh, to me personally, knowing the story and what's going to happen, I think I would have preferred to leave off that blurb about, you know, what's the relationship to Monarch. As you, as we said, it's kind of misleading. Either that or replace it with Lord Chaos instead of Monarch. And, you know, what's the relationship to Lord Chaos? Because that actually does get mm-hmm. answered. But... But then it wouldn't tie quite as much into the Armageddon, and that's what they're going for. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good, strong cover, so I would give it a four also. And I'll get some thoughts on the story itself. Let's go ahead and start with Clinton this time. Clinton, what are your thoughts uh, about the actual story? Oh, you mean the least Nightwing story you're ever going to read about Nightwing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, pretty, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> well, other than... You know, Dick Grayson being proto-90s extreme here with his armored shoulder pads. And I'm sorry, can we just address the elephant in the room? Why does he have a gun? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's very, very nice. Because it's the 90s. Okay, I, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to think this is like... I don't know, this is... This is the Dick Grayson that everybody's picturing in their heads when they watch that Titans trailer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder maybe they read this book and that's why they... (laughs) It was like, um, I think years ago, I remember somebody was talking about this annual or the future or the future Nightwing. And I think I said that he must have found a box labeled like Atari Force or Hex. It's just it's uh, it's something like right out of there. I do like the shield though. Uh, I will give yeah, the, I'll give the nice. points of the Captain America shield. I, I yeah. then I gotta love the Captain America shield. So yeah, but other than that, I mean, I really do like the story for the most part. Lord Chaos is a very interesting villain to me. Terra's honestly probably one of my favorite Titans, period, especially this version of Terra. I, I even like Mirage, and I know a lot of people don't like Mirage. I like the con- I've always liked the I've always liked Mirage. I always thought that they never wrote her. It's just like there's so many mistakes they made with a character like that. You know, she could have been the mystique yeah. of of this group in a way. 
and you know, but a but a good guy. And um, they they did they made her do things. I was just like, nah, you you, you didn't you didn't you didn't have to go there with some of the stuff that you did. Yeah, I agree. Any other thoughts on this, Clinton? Um, no, I mean overall, it, it's an above average story, especially if you really want to think this is this is like right before uh, Wolfman's big uh, writer's block era, isn't it, Tom? I'm trying to remember if it was before or right after. I know yeah, that that's me. Yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah, I, was of, I think it might have been after. Well, I know that after Zero Hour, he um, he ends up getting an editor whose name, at least in the interviews I've read, he won't even speak because like he right. would submit. Um, and it was another young editor and he would submit stuff to that editor. And then like the issue would come out and like entire scenes would be redialogued and things like that. So that led to him, um, basically quitting and, uh, DC saying this is, this is, so this is like 95, 96 and DC basically saying, all right, well, we were going to cancel the book anyway. So we'll give you somebody else for the last few issues. You can just wrap it up the way you want to as best as you can. And the and the stuff after Zero Hour up until maybe the last few issues is like nearly unreadable. Um, <laughs> and I've listened to Mike Bailey go like through it on From Crisis to Crisis because Supergirl's guesting in it, and like he can barely get through mm. it. And, and and yeah, <laughs> yeah. And all the characters are enjoyable. They're just they're that great taste that doesn't taste great together. Yeah, and. Um, Clinton, I'm I'm the same with you on this Terra. I always loved this uh, the second version of the character up until they started belaboring the is she the real Terra thing because uh, that got really yeah. stale. But but when in the pages of Team Titans, especially when like Jensen and Jimenez were writing her and they were doing some different things with the character, I think they were gonna make her like an Earth elemental or something. It was it was really a really interesting way to to do it. Um, I thought this issue is a really good way to introduce and at least give the kind of establish this group um, without having to take us out of the story that we were in because they took advantage of the fact that it was an annual and it was a crossover event. So um, for that, if, if it was Peterson directing it or was Wolfman because um, Wolfman says like these were always meant to be one-off characters for the crossover, and it was editorial who were really like, no, let's make this whole this whole part of something. Sounds yeah. Like so, but but even then, like <laughs> you know, even if it was just if this was like this is like a future group of Teen Titans, he he gives you enough about all of them to make you like the characters in their adventure, and um, does make you even if it wasn't even if it didn't continue into the next issue, you'd always be curious to like you know what happened with those characters and that sort of stuff. It was, it was an interesting concept. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I, I agree with that. It was interesting. It's just, yeah. And usually the word comes down to is editorial interference does seem to cause a lot of problems, <laughs> but you do what you have to do, I yeah. guess. Tom, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this? Um, I don't know. In addition to what I was saying, he world builds pretty decently. I like the I like that page. It was page fifteen with the Bat Cave, and you don't know how Bruce Wayne died. You just and you just see a wrecked Bat Cave with a costume that was in a trophy chase trophy chase trophy case um, that's now wrecked, 
and the idea that like you know everybody like even Bruce is gone so like everybody is gone I have to go back and look at Armageddon 2001 um, number one or two or number one especially but I always thought that the that chaos's police people looked just enough like monarchs and I think um, right around the time of um, they revealed Monarch to be the leader of the Team Titans, uh, my friend and I wrote a letter into. I don't think it was ever published. I think we just got a blurb in the last issue of Team Titans that we wrote in a letter explaining that like it makes sense because uh, being that this was a former Titan, Monarch comes about and topples Lord Chaos and just kind of fills the gap there. And so there's like all this stuff that's established already so it's almost like you know it, it would it would actually seamlessly go into monarch's rule if this was the actual timeline like one dictator replacing the other you know even though it doesn't fit wave rider's narrative but uh no overall i think it's a really really solid issue story-wise the art i'm hot and cold on though Grinberg does the Detective Comics Annual. I don't know if you've done that one yet. Grinberg does the art of the Detective Comics Annual and he inks himself and it's much better. And I think he, I think it's the art here suffers from the many hands inkers that we have because we have three inkers and one penciler. And I think, and this is the case of some other artists too I've seen, I think it also suffers from the paper. The detective annuals on that classic comics news newsprint paper, and I I always like like it on that. Um, and and Grinberg's art I thought I don't know if it's something on this because this is like what they used to call the Baxter paper. And right. I just there's something about it. I don't know if it's the coloring or what that it just it's it's always slightly off. It's always kind of like it, it's almost like a low rent Neil Adams type of because it's very Neil Adams in places, and um, and it would work if it it's just it, but it, there's bits and pieces of it that are clunky. So you know I think it takes away from the story a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. And yeah, as far as detective, yeah, we we I'm actually doing that. Next month with uh, John Jack's going to be on talking about the Detective Comics Annual. But, yeah, I do agree that the, the – I was went back and looked at the Armageddon 2001 issue, and, yeah, the, the troopers are similar in appearance as far as my thoughts on this. My major issue with this story is that I, I love crossovers. I love when books cross over with one another. But sometimes you can tell when it's a forced crossover – and to me, this issue seems kind of forced because other than Wave Rider showing up and looking at the, the, uh, at the beginning and the end, it's not really a, there's nothing about Monarch in the future. Like I said, I mean, you could hand wave it and say that, you know, after Lord Chaos gets destroyed, Monarch steps in and picks up the pieces. That doesn't really, again, as you said, Tom, doesn't fit with the narrative of Armageddon 2001 where Monarch Rose in 2001 from a, one of the heroes when most of the heroes appear not to be around mm-hmm. <laughs> in this storyline. So, I mean, if it was a standalone story by itself, uh, maybe a, you know, a what if or a future story or something that would, it, it's excellent. But yeah, that's part of my, my, that's my main problem with it is that, yeah, that it doesn't fit very well with the narrative as far as, because I, I don't see this, this future fitting in with, what Wave Riders described so far in the first issue. And I know that, and again, I've, I've talked about that before, I'll talk about it in some other episodes, that when he touches people, he, the future changes. In fact, I'll talk about, again, an upcoming episode, that how 
sometimes when he touches a hero, he you know, he's touched Superman three times, he looked at Batman twice, which to me says that, well, if he touched him the first time, he didn't become Monarch, and you have to check him out a second time, well, did he become Monarch? That means that Monarch's actual identity isn't set in stone. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to check the same hero more than once, because no matter what their future holds, if he didn't become Monarch the first time, then why would he become Monarch the second time? But that, that's my problem with the whole crosser, which I'll get into more later. Uh, but as far as this issue, I do like, like you guys have said, I, I do like this version of Terra. I've read the original Terra in back issues. I wasn't reading comics when she came out. I, I did enjoy what I read of that Terra. But yeah, I do like this Terra more. Like Clinton was saying, I do like Mirage. I think Mirage, as Tom said, was a very underused and misused character later on. Uh, the rest of the Titans, you don't get a, a big feeling for me. There's a relationship between a couple of the Titans. There's uh, two of them, brother and sister. But you get the vampire on the team. But overall, I think it was a good story by itself. It's just I have problems with the narrative fitting it into the whole Armageddon 2001 crossover. Like I said, I didn't really pay that much attention when I first read it until after you mentioned, Tom. But yeah, the, the costumes are similar to what Monarch's men would have later on or in the other stories, which, again, it kind of, kind of has a nice narrative beat that way. But, and then I can also mention that, yeah, on the cover tells us that, you know, we'll find out who, how Monarch's related. In overall, we do find out that apparently, I guess, that the, the boss I talked about is Monarch, hiding his identity, but, yeah, we don't find out in here, so. Yeah. Um, how do you guys feel about uh, Lord Chaos teaming up with these aliens for their <laughs> take over Earth. We haven't mentioned the aliens that show up in here. Tom, what do you, what do you think about the aliens? Do you have any thoughts on them? I, bit of the story I don't know how necessary they are aside from just a way to explain why 10 years later they have so much advanced technology like flying ships and things like that that are that are a little bit beyond, um, you know, or that, and then they're so proprietary to like him as opposed to that, you know, because if you look at some of the civilians walking around in some of the panels here and there, uh, they're pretty normal looking people. So it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, all of chaos is people have the kind of this, this high tech stuff. And it, it explains like how he was able to take over, so much of the world so i guess it's it, it makes sense but i don't think it's really ever followed up on that much beyond um because by the time you get into what would become total chaos and everything he heads back and that whole alien thing is just kind of like left in the future so it's you could have left it out and and you know had some other explanation uh, other explanation for it i think it was still would it chaos still would have worked as a villain and uh, Clinton, what do, you, what do you have any thoughts on the aliens and the whole Lord Chaos teaming up to take over the Earth with the aliens? Oh, you mean the aliens from planet Deus Ex Machina? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, you heard them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like Tom. They're they're here to help pretty much explain you know exactly how Chaos could take over. You know, one of those, well, I I got technology from them, and they need manpower from me, so it's like, well, if the technology was that good, why couldn't they use it themselves? <laughs> Plus, they all seem to die rather easily. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah so I think it would have been a lot better without them. Because, again, as far as advanced technology, it's, it's 10 years in the future. Look at almost any story where they're looking 10, 20 years in the future, and we've got flying cars, and we've got this futuristic stuff. Even in our, again, 2001, was more, you know, was about as futuristic as this. So I, I don't know if, personally, I think it probably would have worked a little better if they, because, again, I say, yeah, the aliens don't, it's not really followed up on much, if at all. And like uh, Clinton said, they, they go down rather easily. And the other thing that strikes me as odd is that the other timelines, uh, this timeline seems different than the other books, because he does mention that this one here is, is a real timeline, it's not just a figment of Nightmare's potential. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one just is, you know, a possible future, but this one's actually a, a real future that comes across as a little odd difference. And I know they did that just so they can continue on and, and bring this into, you know, current continuity and the, the current books. But again, fitting this one future as a real future, where everything else is a possible future just seems kind of, kind of wrong to me. Clinton, do you have any other thoughts on this issue? Uh, yeah, actually, um, as I was flipping back through it again, Renberg's art, does he have an obsession with uh, butt shots? Because, <laughs> I mean, like literally about every third page, you're going to have panels where there's like, you know, just for no apparent reason, people are drawn from the back. Yeah, it's the start of the 90s. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, you know, this is for all the people that want to make the, the Dick Grayson butt There's a lot of Nightwing butt jokes. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of Nightwing butt. There's a lot of Redwing butt. There's a lot yes. of Terra butt. Yeah, there's a fair amount of Mirage butt. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell which way uh, Kilowatt is facing, so that may be his butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. So. But uh, yeah, no. Other than that, um, I don't. I, I would say it's an above average issue. It's. It has problems, definitely, especially with you know trying to tie into Monarch and all that. But at the same time, I, you know, in my little head canon as a child, it was um, you know that Monarch and Lord Chaos were essentially the uh, Skeletor and Hordak of <laughs> you know of their little yeah. areas. It's like you go over here and do your okay, thing, man. and you, you know, I'll go over here and do my thing, and whichever one of us conquers the world first can kill the other one. You know, Skeletor, your evil is almost a match for my own. Together we'll make life miserable for those Eternian fools. Why, it'll be just like the old days. (laughs) Yes, yes, just like the old days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I didn't look at it that way. <laughs> I uh, it it is as a crossover, very dislike. If I would, if this, if I don't think this is true, but if they had already created this story and like Paul Levitz or Dick Giordano or Jeanette Connor, somebody had come to John Peterson and said, "You have to make the annual part of the crossover," and they added on like the three or four pages that directly deal with the crossover, I wouldn't be surprised 
because it, That's what I was it works way better as a this annual that introduces these characters in a way from the end of 79 and then like 80 picks them up where they were like it, it kind of catches up back to where we were at the end of 79 and keeps them going in the future and if you want a book that's a crossover that has that you could like completely skip um, New Titans 81 is that War of the Gods one it kind of deals with Donna Troy but it's basically pariah whining for 24 pages it's it's really <laughs> yeah it's a super uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. So it's it's not as a crossover. It's you know it's it's not really essential. Not in the way that those first couple of Superman and Batman annuals are, or like Justice League or Hawk and Dove and, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. That's 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 my big issue. Like I said previously, with is that yeah. And I was wondering the same thing that you mentioned, Tom. Is maybe Marv already had this written out or plotted out? And they, you know, we got the Armageddon 2001 crossover. You guys need to be a part of it. You need to have your annual tie into it. Marv's like. All right, let me write these couple pages here. Put this and this ending in. There you go. It's done. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like say if yeah, you pull out those first couple pages, uh, the la- top half of the last page, I think it would flow a lot better and it'd be a lot better of a story. But uh, any other thoughts on this, uh, Tom? No, I was just kind of looking to see if uh, if any of that was true, but it's it's really not. Um, like I said, it's um, what's interesting to me is just knowing the Titans' history. They hadn't really fully participated in a crossover since Crisis. Wolfman had this way of keeping them, I mean, like letting people use like one or two characters from the Titans in some of the, in like Legends, Millennium, and Invasion. But conveniently, most of the Titans were absent from all of that. Like Invasion took place while the Titans were out in space doing the who was wonder girl story because there's interludes with like danny chase back at titan's tower talking to like wally or roy or somebody and they're saying we're being invaded and i don't know what they're doing during millennium i think starfire there's like a spotlight issue with that but like this is the first time like the titans were kind of like right into um right into a crossover they would be like from this point on like next year's annual will be part of the eclipso event and there was a blood the bloodlines annual introduced anima and uh so but yeah it's as a crossover it's it's kind of the one of the weaker ones because it really has nothing there's no bearing the outcome of the story but as a chapter in the titans hunt total chaos thing it actually works pretty well and uh clinton did you have any other final thoughts did we get everything i, th- I think i'm good okay and uh real quick tom you said when we talked on mess on the Facebook thing, you were saying that you had information from the about the Teen Titans from the Titans Companion. Uh, just a little bit about like them and, and what John Peterson had um, originally planned for them because he was talking about how basically like he was going to introduce them um, and then he spun them out, spin them out into their own book after Total Chaos, which happened in the middle of Total Chaos. And Teen Titans number one has five different issues, but unlike the X Men yeah. number one. Teen Titans number one has five backup stories to tell the origins of each of the things. So instead of buying five separate covers, you're buying, you actually are buying a separate story. Um, so, so that was kind of nice, but he had planned on keeping this team in that title and like having like tons of different teams and eventually kind of like, kind of creating a situation where you have the new Titans as the adult book and the teen Titans becoming teen Titans kind of how they would eventually do in the 2000s, but also I think mirroring what the Legion of Superheroes was doing, where you had um, 
I don't know if they had started it by this time, but eventually Legion of Superheroes in the five-year-later time, and they would have the original, you know, the, the flagship title, but they would also have the Legionnaires, which were the... Um, right. And I didn't read enough of this to really be an expert on this, but they were all, like, kind of teenage versions of what the adult Legion was, and I think that's what he was going for this, because he, he hinted at in this interview that he did in there that there was one of those Teen Titans, those many, many teams, that looked like the original, like, Wolfman Perez Titans, and they were going to show up at some point. Um, but he left he left DC altogether right at the beginning of that Total Chaos crossover. And, I do, and he was supposed to be doing something at Image, maybe? I don't know why he left or what he went on to do, because he kind of disappeared after that. So, um, and, then, and then the thing kind of meandered into territory that is, <laughs> in some places, like, pretty decent. And in other places, you get like Titans number one hundred onward, which in many cases is ranges from pretty bad to like really awful. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree with you on that. Yeah, I'm a big Titans fan of this era, uh, the Wolfman Perez. But yeah, I, I, I Titans up through issue one hundred or so, and yeah, then it starts kind of what <laughs> the 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 Jeff Jensen. Phil Jimenez run, which starts around issue 11 or 12 of Teen Titans and goes up to the end for a while there, had a lot of potential. And you could see like where they were going. And then they they got slammed by editorial because the book was going to get canned. So, um, well, I think they actually had like a year's worth of stories planned out or two years worth of stories planned out that they had to compress into like five issues or something and but but it was uh they were doing some very interesting things with the characters and for a while that was the that was the um the book that I was more interested in than the new titans because I think this was around because when Teen Titans was sort of winding down I think Bill Joska was on the art at Titans and it was just like I pick it up because I was used to picking it up but it was not great so yeah. all right well unless you guys have any other thoughts on this uh, we're going to go ahead and drop this right here, and we'll be back next month with another segment, looking at, I believe, another book. But before we go, uh, Clinton, why don't you tell everybody out there once again where they can find you if they want to hear more of you? Well, if they want to hear more from me, I do a podcast called Coffee and Comics Podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. Or you can find it directly on the website, coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. Or if they would like to uh, just get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Coffee Comics Blog. Very nice. And Tom, if people want to hear more about you and want to hear from you, uh, where they can where can they find you more about you at? Um, I have three podcasts over on the Two True Freaks Network. Um, the first one is In Country. I'm taking an issue-by-issue look at The Nom, the Marvel comic series from the 80s and 90s. My main podcast is Pop Culture Affidavit, uh, which is really just anything and everything random in popular culture, uh, TV, movies, comics, books, music, whatever. Um, You can also find that at popcultureaffidavit.com. And I have a third one, which is devoted to literature. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. And me and uh, Stella from the Batgirl, the Oracle podcast, take a look at one work of literature each month. And we, 
you know, tear it open and decide whether or not, because we're both teachers, whether or not we would actually teach it, whether or not it's kind of evaluate its place in the canon, so to speak. Um, and you can find that at required reading with Tom and Stella.com. And if you do want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at pop that's spelled P O P A F F. Very nice. And I definitely recommend all those shows. Uh, you both, both Clint and Tom, you guys are, you have some great shows out there. I enjoy listening to them, but that'll do it for this time. I'm going to go take a break. Stay with us. And we'll be right back. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Can I get a tall chai? And a large black coffee. And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual? On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robinson. And I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics podcast. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. Oh, adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. walking across, and, and you know what? Men, too. Well, uh, 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 Stella. serious men like the tragic Mr. Rochester, and teachers, pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas? As much as I enjoy, um indulging your insanity we have a promo to record oh dear and what might that be that is you and i telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there it's called required reading with tom and stella once a month we will take a look at a single work of literature discuss it analyze it and determine if it's worth its place in the canon oh dear that sounds delightful oh i'm Sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh, yes. Required reading with with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You, You did a great job. Oh. You are so welcome. It began with the origin of his comic book fandom. This is the very first comic book I have ever read, and also ignited the spark of my comic book collecting over the course of a 1974 weekend. Professor Zoom Yukinori led an ongoing expedition through his favorite single-issue comic book stories from the Bronze Age of DC Comics. 
Balance of Power. Have Horse, Will Fly. Solomon Grundy, Wins on a Monday. Superman's Unbeatable Rival. Green Lantern, Master Criminal of the 25th Century. With unique celebrity guest perspectives in an ambitious attempt to set this program apart from other comic book review podcasts. Call me Terror Man. Solomon Grundy, I'm co-host this time. I am Lanos, the, the lexical archive of minutia, expositions, and origins. Goodbye, me and Bizarro. I am Libra. This is Aya from the Green Lantern. It is I, the Reverse Flash. Which had ended with the destruction of the universe. Or has it? Where in Tunderation are we? I regret to say that you are my prisoner. Without our interspatial time conveyor, we are all essentially trapped here. Can't summon the willpower necessary for my power ring to pull me free. For nearly two decades, I had carried her ghost within my heart. Experience the wonder. Great wings of Mercury! <laughs> of an all-new season. Solomon Grundy, fat little pointy-eared man before. Let us get back to the story, shall we? Down, down, and approach. Of the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. Only on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Allow me, Entity Terror Man. That does it. They ain't messing with no timing lines ever again. And now back to Head Speaks. And welcome back to another segment of Behind the Podcast. And joining us this time, we have another extraordinary podcaster. I, I first heard of this gentleman over on the Who's Who's podcast. He would send them submissions for their uh, missing Who's Who's pages. Who's Who's? DC characters didn't get a Who's Who's page. That's a lot of Who's Who's. They should have. And um, then he started his own show. So let's welcome to the show, Zoom Yukonori. Hey there, Zoom. Hello, sir. Welcome back. I, we talked over on my uh, Army 2001 about The Flash, and I just had you back to talk about your podcasting career and history and life. So. <laughs> <laughs> Says, you're talking to a man who hasn't even had 10 shows under his belt, by the way, just so you know. So, That's fledgling right. podcaster. That's all right. You've you got your own shows, plus you've heard other places. And I say, yeah, I've heard you for, I don't know, for, it seems like forever on this Who's, Who's Who podcast, so... Well, that's true, your, but your entries. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, you know, I, I actually never voiced on the on the Who's Who podcast. Just the, but they gave me my own segment where they just talk about my artwork, but they didn't invite me on. See, they should have you do that segment. Make a plate or something. That's well, you know, I'm built. I'm building. I'm building a book. You know, I, I already have like a 32 page Zooms Who Volume One all planned out. I even drew the cover. A few years ago. So when all of those entries are complete, I will see about maybe doing a Zooms Who episode. And, you know, maybe I won't invite Robin Shag. 
There you go. In fact, I think we need to write DC and tell them they need to commission you and actually publish this. I would love to see that. Oh, they, they well, they seem to have their own, they seem to have their own art team doing their, yeah. their faux who's who um, entries for um, the young animal line, which was, which was great. It was a nice hearkening back. Oh yeah, I did see. As I said, I did see, I did see a couple of those in the early. When I first started, I did see a couple of those. Yeah, that was a nice throwback. <laughs> yeah, it was. But let's get on with you, actually. So, uh, sure. Let's start with uh, what is the name of your show? Oh yes, my show is the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show, and I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but it just rolls off the tongue. I thought. I, I think it's a nice title. Uh, well, thank and, you. And what is, what is your show about? Why don't you tell the people listening a little bit about your show? What is it about? What do you do? Sure. It, well, it's essentially a com- it's a comic book review and critique show, uh, specifically focused on done in one comic book stories. Most of the episodes I've done so far, and of course there have only been five, uh, they focus mostly on my favorite DC comic stories from the Bronze Age. But in the future, it may include uh, stories from other publishers as well as from Silver Age and more recent years. Very nice. Yeah. Well, just. To, you know, when you hear comic book review and critique show, you know, you heard one, you heard them all. So I always I wanted to come up with something to help distinguish this podcast from from other comic book review shows that are out there on the interwebs. So I introduced certain celebrity guests to provide a unique perspective on the stories that are covered. Now, these are celebrities that had not had any active work for years. And so they were willing to help me out um, because even the Comic Cons wouldn't have them come in to to, to do uh, autographs. You may know them as like Terra Man, Solomon Grundy, Bizarro, and uh, Lanos, who was the alternate AI navigational computer from Green Lantern, the animated series. They had become affectionately known as the Zoom Crew. <laughs> Very nice name, I like that Zoom Crew. I didn't even come up with it. That that came from the comments. I was originally I was originally going to call them the Legion of Zoom. That was the title of my that was the title of my fifth episode was Rise of the Legion of Zoom with an X. And right. uh, but I think Zoom Crew is is much better. I, I like them both. I like the, the Legion of Zoom, but also yeah, the Zoom Crew's got a nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife's sitting here listening. She's like, she votes for Zoom Crew. <laughs> so do I. So do I. It, it takes me back to Captain Carrot. Yeah. So it was, you know there. <laughs> We, we almost renamed the show uh, Zoom Yukonori and His Amazing Zoom Crew, but Terra Man, but Terra Man wanted to call it Terra Man and His Amazing Zoom Crew. So that, of that just, it, yeah. Notice how I have a forced reality with my show. You're going to have to bear with that a little bit on this. Oh no, that's fine. I, I've got my own reality in my head, so I can deal with yours. <laughs> I can deal with yours. <laughs> so speaking of your show, how did you come up with the idea to, for this show? Okay, well, hmm. I originally contemplated doing a podcast around a, a particular comic book series that I liked, like Green Lantern, for example, except there already was a Green Lantern podcast that does that. So I thought perhaps maybe something more obscure, like maybe the Super Friends comic book from the 1970s or Batman, the Brave and the Bold, just to have a little variety because they had different guest stars coming in and out. But then I realized that if I if I focused on a series and started doing the series in order, I would fall into that trap of being obligated to cover comic book stories that I may not have particularly enjoyed, which is what Batman Nightcast is doing right now. They're essentially slogging through the Max Allen Collins run 
Uh, I, I wanted to cover comic stories that I liked, but I needed a theme because I just could not go totally random. But the Brave and the Bold issues, they reminded me of how much, how um, most of the comic books that I had read growing up, and I, and I started reading comic books in, in 1973, um, they, managed, they managed to tell a complete, and not just a complete story, but a very rich story in a single issue, usually in 17 pages or less. And I had always marveled at that, and unfortunately, very few comic books do that today. Um, but but most comic book animated series episodes do it wonderfully. So I, I wanted to celebrate that age of, of compressed storytelling. So that was where the done-in-one wonders concept came from. And the theme was broad enough for me to cover any single-issue comic book I want. Um, and even the very first... The very first episode, I, I took exception because it was a comic book story that took place or that would continue in the next issue. But, you know, it was only the last two panels that really, you know, added that cliffhanger. So so um, I, I made the exception because it was the first comic book I ever bought. And, and I definitely wanted to cover my origin story of, of becoming a comic book fan in my very first episode. So with that one exception, everything else is a single issue comic book story. And, and, and my presentation format with actual comic book and animation characters being co-hosts that allows me to cover comic books in hopefully a different enough way so that it would not clash with other podcasts that may cover the same comic book. Well, that's, that's a very nice uh, distinction you have there. I like the, the fact that you have you know, these other characters showing up and helping you with it. So that, that does, as you said, it brings a, a little, a different taste to the show. Well, thank you. I, I, I can't say that it's completely unique. I, I mean, I, I know that uh, Diablo Frank had done uh, dramatic reenactments of comic book stories where he would or, or would have a guest play various characters. And, of course, there was the the romance comics by Siskoid and his friends, Boss and, and Vern and, and um, I can't remember the fourth one. I'm sorry. But... Um, they would do these um they would do these um dramatic romance comic theater so it's 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 not it's not a new it's not a new concept but i i'd like to think that there aren't that many podcasts out there where a comic book character would actually be criticizing his own story <laughs> I, I agree i mean like see yeah there's other been other i know everyone loves the drake recently did a dramatic reenactment of the lonely place of living storyline and but I, I like the concept that you have where you know you have these reoccurring characters that come in they'll you know critique their own stories or I don't know just it's an interesting little twist to it. Yeah, and it, it kind of enables me to kind of put in my own little fan theories on why certain stories happened the way they did. Right. Uh, like the explanation of of Solomon Grundy and how he was able to give Superman such a hard time in that one issue, that Superman 301, where Superman couldn't lift him for some reason. It's like, well, how, how is that possible? Why isn't he like sinking through the ground then if he's so heavy that he can't be lifted? So, you know, we, we, we tried to use, use that to kind of throw the, throw, throw the theories in there and have them come from Solomon Grundy's point of view, or even Terraman's point of view, or even Lanos would come up with some kind of, weird comic book science explanation. So it, it, it's, it's, um, it's fun having those different characters on there. Um, and, and it, it kind of is the, it, it's kind of like, um, I, re I recall when you had Pat Sampson on, he was talking about how Ryan Daly said that you should always have a co-host. So you're just not like talking to yourself in, in, into the ether. 
but I'm essentially doing that still <laughs> because because I voice all those other characters. Yes, the secret is out. I'll see. You ruined it. Show's over now. Let's go, guys. <laughs> there goes my forced reality. <laughs> Though there is some there is some exceptions, and we'll get into that a little later. Well, I said most of my shows I do, I do by myself. So I, I do, I, except for my G.I. Joe show, and then when I get people out here occasionally, uh, I do most of my shows by myself. So I am the one sitting there talking to the ether and throw it out there. But it, it does make it easier. And I've had people tell me, that listen to my different shows, they say, well, the ones when I have other guests on there, it's a little easier. It's a little more natural when you have someone else to bounce ideas off of. So Yeah. But, you know, doing it yourself works too. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, not, it's not like it's forbidden. To right. be doing a show by yourself. I mean, the very first podcast I did was uh, was it was an FW presents on the amazing world of DC Comics, which was a uh, DC fanzine of the 1970s. And essentially, I treated that almost like a masterpiece theater radio show type of thing, where I would come in and just introduce a segment and then do a reading from it, and then kind of do a little exit commentary and then move on to the next one. <laughs> very nice. Um, so, so what got you into podcasting? Why did you decide to actually make the leap and get this addiction that you have? Yeah, well, um, I guess I should go back into when I first discovered comic book podcasts. And, and the first comic book podcast I had come across was by Tom Caters. He did a series called Tom vs. the Flash. And, and the reason I discovered that i came across a link to an episode that was in a chat room feed this gives you an idea of how long ago this was so i gave it a listen and i ended up downloading all of the shows and i i listened to them on business trips or long drives and i enjoyed it immensely so i kept following tom cater's show after he finished tom versus the flash and started tom versus aquaman but then tom's life had reached a point at least at that time, where he essentially quit podcasting to devote more time to his uh, to his family. Um, in the meantime, uh, I was um, drawing, uh, illustrating for the line it is drawn. That's a weekly sketch challenge feature on the comic book resources website. And I know this seems unrelated, but there is a point. But there was one week where the challenge was to create a new sidekick for a hero who never had a sidekick. And I did a sidekick for Green Lantern, and I turned in my entry in the form of an old-style 1980s Who's Who entry. That was actually my very first Zoom's Who entry. Um, and that was passed around the Internet for a while. And then someone sent me a comment asking if I've ever heard of the Who's Who podcast. And I had not. So I decided to listen to it. And this was when they were at, like, volume 15 or 16 of the first series at the time. And that was when I first discovered Rob Kelly and Shag Matthews. And initially... They reminded me of Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew radio shows, to be honest. I mean, in terms of both their vocal styles and their banter. But I, I, I didn't about that. You're right. But, but, I, but I enjoyed these two more than Carolla and Drew. So I was listening from then on. And with Who's Who, of course, came the Fire and Water podcast, of course. And I was a Firestorm fan. I, was, I liked Aquaman. I didn't hate him, but I wasn't an avid follower of Aquaman. But I have read a number of his adventures, so you know it was it was good. And 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 I started to I started to appreciate Aquaman much more um, listening to their podcast about that too. So with Who's Who, you know, I I I wanted to uh, I, I started creating those fo- those faux Who's Who entries as as you know, starting with the Silver Age Superman and Wonder Woman, of course, because I felt they were slighted by the original Who's Who series, because the Who's Who series basically they changed their direction 
midway through the series. I mean, they started being a celebration of DC's rich 50-year history, and that was the whole point of Who's Who. It wasn't meant to be an index. It wasn't meant to be a reference material. It wasn't meant to do what the Marvel Handbook does in terms of, you know, who would win in a fight or whose heat vision is stronger. Right. Then, you know, and things like that, or who runs faster. It was more of just, you know, these were characters that they had been publishing. Some of them may not have been published for over a decade. But, you know, this is a character. He had a long run. And and this is this is all you need to know about him type of thing. And I've got bikers outside. Sorry. Um, So but midway through because of the crisis and because of all the post-crisis reboots that were happening with Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, they started to turn Who's Who into an index of characters that were featured in the comics at the time. So uh, they never did a Who's Who entry on the Silver Age Superman, the Earth One Superman, right. uh, in favor of the John Byrne rebooted Superman who only appeared in, I think, about five comics issues at that time and i think they mostly pulled from john burns bible for the series to put that information in there so you know the earth one wonder woman was slighted the same way too so i wanted to kind of write that which was wrong and also kind of show my appreciation to the to the who's who podcast hosts so i timed developing those for when they would be featured on their show when those certain issues with Superman and Wonder Woman came out. And, um, and I, it just kept going from there. Eventually it led to me creating a, a faux entry of fire shag, which was essentially shag Matthews in a firestorm costume. And because, because he was, um, short of hair, he had only little tendrils of flame coming from the top of his head. Yes. I've seen that. I've seen that picture. I love that. And, and that, that entry was actually written by Michael Bailey. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, and and I wanted to do one on Aqua Rob Kelly. I needed to do that. So by a Facebook, I arranged a phone call with Shag Matthews to go over what the entry should should say while sharing a few, you know, so we, we had that phone call. He kept complimenting me on my voice for some reason. I don't know why. And um, we shared a few comic book collecting stories. I actually told him my Uncle Kenzo story on the phone. And, and at the end of the call, Shag basically said, you know, Rob and I, we, we, we got to have you be a guest on our podcast. And, and, uh, I was, I was, I was, um, I was a guest on episode 156 of the fire and water podcast. And I, I had a blast doing that. And that might've been when the podcasting bug actually hit me at that point. And I was later a guest on other shows of the network. There was film and water, there was pod Dylan, and, and they were all enjoyable. So that led to my idea to do my own podcast and i was originally planning to post it on my blog site until i could figure out how to do a channel feed i i I knew i could actually post audio and video on on my blog spot so i thought if i if i do these episodes i would post it there but because of my past experience uh with the fire and uh water network shows the network founders decided to to take a chance on my idea very nice yeah, what what happened was is that you know I I I had a five episode plan from the start. I, I knew which comic book stories I wanted to cover, mainly based on whatever comic book guests I could actually pull off, uh, and and I had pretty much ninety five percent of the show format worked out, and and I actually had a pitch plan uh, for these five episodes, like all written down on on notepad, 
And um, and later, when a Facebook conversation lent itself on the topic of starting new podcasts, I actually just put a post on Facebook that just said, I have an idea for a podcast show that would begin with my origin of comic book collecting and end with the destruction of the universe. <laughs> and it sounded like a joke, but that actually was my five episode plan. And and, it, and whoever's listened to season one of, of the Done One Wonders, they know that's true. And this was actually a line I would later use in my first official promo for the show. And at that point, the Fire Network, uh, Fire and Water Network, excuse me, they started uh, as a network, not just the Fire and Water podcast. And and that was when I did that one time guest episode 156, as I mentioned. So I actually received a private message from Rob Kelly on Facebook a few days after I put that post on there. He he basically said that he talked it over with all the podcast founders and and um, they were willing to actually set me up if I was serious about doing a podcast. So I actually typed up my pitch and I sent it to them. They said it sounded great. And I just went forward from there. Oh, very nice. So uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but your vision for the show uh, when you first started, what was your original vision? Was it just basically just covering the, the one issue special? Uh, special? Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the original issue. vision. Yeah. The original vision was essentially the, the five episode plan that I mentioned. I wanted, I, I, I definitely wanted to do those five stories. I definitely wanted to end with destroying the universe. Cause basically I figured that I, I just wanted it to be like a first season like a like a tryout season, and if I enjoyed doing it, and if and if producing these podcasts didn't kill me, I would do a second season. So right now I'm hard at work recreating the universe that I destroyed at the end of episode five. <laughs> but uh, pretty much everything that was in my original plan was done, uh, with a few exceptions. My, my favorite aspect of the show format. I said I had 95% of the format. The, the 5% actually came to me at the 11th hour. I had recorded and edited my first episode. Um, and at the time, it just started with the theme music and went right into the program. And, and I thought that was fine. I mean, a lot of other podcasts do that as well. But then I remembered how Tom Caters, remember him? Yes. Did Tom versus the Flash and all that. Right. He would open his show with some kind of funny, snide, little grabber line he would do something like tom versus the flash number 223 or i've never been held so tenderly by an insect or something you know it's just a little snide thing that makes you go what and makes you want to listen more and figure out what the heck is he talking about so i wanted to open with kind of a grabber like that but i didn't want to copy what tom had done so i pulled out the comic book i was covering for an idea this was justice league of america issue um volume one issue 111 and I realized that I could do a dramatic reading of the caption right off the cover. And I had some Hoyt Curtain uh, soundtracks, and some of them are very similar to uh, the music tracks he used on the Super Friends. So I had like Super Friends like music tracks I could put in there to capture that 1973 feel, because this was all about how, you know, I, I, I found that comic book because, as, as I mentioned earlier, I, I saw the Super Friends program and then I saw the comic book and it's like, oh, these are the guys on the show. It, it all just fell into place. And then I decided to just do these dramatic cover reenactments for the rest of those comic books that I had covered as the opener going forward. And I was actually fortunate to have uh, some friends that are actually really good voice talents um, to kind of lend their voice in there there's a, a brilliant man named will rogers he's a radio personality um in kentucky and he can mimic a lot of the uh super friends characters so he voiced he voiced superman 
in in a dramatic reenactment of his battle with Solomon Grundy. He voiced the Flash, um, and I also had him voice. I also have him voice Green Lantern in an upcoming episode. And I was especially honored to have Shannon Farnan, who was the voice of Wonder Woman on the Super Friends, the very first Wonder Woman voice, to actually um, re reenact, I guess, her role as Lois Lane in the fourth episode opener because she was also she would also voice extra characters on the Super Friends and one of them was actually Lois Lane in the episode Lex Luthor Strikes Back. So it was it was quite a joy to actually hear Shannon Farnan's voice Lois Lane for me, <laughs> essentially. Oh, very much so, I'm sure. It was a it was a thrill. It was a thrill. And and she will actually return voicing another character. In, in an upcoming episode opener, but I will not spoil it. But you do hear that voice in my um, my season two teaser trailer that was just released in the um, in the uh, FW sampler oh, okay. on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Very nice. Um, it's a little early. I'm sure you've got five episodes. Start your second season. But yep. is anything? Well, really... I haven't started yet. It, we well, won't, it, won't air until, it won't air until probably <laughs> September. Oh, okay. Uh, but is is anything really is anything different than what you really had you planned? Is things yes. Uh, well, you know, as a podcaster, things can change the last minute. Has any sure. plans or? Well, there was that eleventh hour ad. The other thing that changed was um, the comic book that was covered in the fifth episode. I I it was originally going to be the Flash Volume One Issue One Hundred and Thirty Nine, which was actually a Silver Age book, and it was the origin story of the Reverse Flash. I, I the rest of the episode was essentially the same. My original plan for episode five was to have Reverse Flash essentially take over the show, and and go from there to conquer the rest of comic book fandom. It you had to be there, and of course, uh, spoilers. The idea of defeating him had to do with his speed charged costume. He actually gets his powers from his costume. It's not internal like like Barry Allen's. Um, and that was the means to defeat him. And that was inspired. That would be inspired by the mention of that in the comic book story itself. That would be what triggers the idea because we review the story and that's like, ah, now I can know how to defeat him. And that's essentially what um, they, they had a similar mention in the in the replacement story, because I, I noticed that most of the comic books I'd been covering on the show, they were in the Bronze Age, with the exception of maybe uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, which opened the door to Reverse Flash because that was actually the first appearance of the Bizarro Flash, which happened to look like Reverse Flash. And because of that similarity, that's what leads to Reverse Flash getting on the show because Lanos thought Reverse Flash was supposed to be the guest star and accidentally released him from his 25th century prison before he realized his mistake and then went to go get Bizarro because that Bizarro was supposed to be the, the guest star. And of course, because Reverse Flash escaped and ended up in our studio, he he knocked me out and took over the show. But but because I because I was covering Bronze Age stories more, I switched the Silver Age story I originally had with the Bronze Age Reverse Flash tale that also highlighted the speed charge uniform in one scene. The Flash actually defeats Reverse Flash by taking his uniform off. I mean, the Flash takes Reverse Flash's uniform right. off. Let me. Be clear there. Um, so, but anyway, the episode still worked, and it was in line with the bronze aginess of most of the other episodes. That was good. Oh, one other thing: I originally toyed with the idea of having Elron, the robot from Justice League International, being one of the regular characters on my show. I wanted to have a computer or robot character to pull the data files, read the who's who entries, 
give out give out the scientific explanations, you know, essentially be the nerd <laughs> on the show. And I gave Elron I gave Elron a tryout right. doing the voice and character of Elron. I gave him a tryout in the teaser promos that were used in my FW Presents the Amazing World of DC Comics. And and it worked pretty well. But because I saw my podcast focusing more on pre-crisis comic books, Elrond Elrond didn't seem to be a very good fit. But Lanos from the Green Lantern animated series, which I I love that series, and it's it's criminally underrated, and and it's unfortunate that they didn't continue with it. But, But Lanos seemed to be a better fit for the show, even though, again, he has nothing to do with Green Lantern comics, pre-crisis or otherwise, but I like that character on the show. And the series itself, the animated series, told some good single-episode stories, and I may actually want to cover a few a special episodes later. I don't have to refine myself to done-in-one comic book wonders. Right. Yeah, name your show's done-in-one wonder shows. I mean, you yeah. could cover whatever you want at that point. Exactly. I, I might actually end up doing a Super Friends episode. There you go. That would be very nice. Why not? <laughs> Which kind of oh, leads me to my just, next question. Anything else? No, no. I just said now I just thought of one, too, so i got to write that down. <laughs> that, that was the other thing, too. I originally had a five-episode plan, but as I was doing the five episodes, I still I kept coming up with comic books that I wanted to cover later, and I actually have a list. I have a list of about 20 different comic books I want to do. <laughs> so... You know, by episode three, I said that I already have like the first 15 or so episodes mapped out. And that's, that's true because I already had the list of comics. But I am asking people to, you know, send in their recommendations of done in one stories. And some of them went on the list. Very nice. Speaking of that, I don't know how far you got planned. I know you got 15 stories lined up, but well, now for, your second, <laughs> for your second season, yes. do you plan on doing just another five Episodes? Are you planning on going longer for the second season, or have you figured that out yet? Um, How far are you going with that one? Well, I was hoping this would be a monthly series, but it actually takes a little bit longer than that, um, mostly because I am pretty meticulous. Right. So it takes about maybe a month and a half to to do an episode on average, and that's and. And that's assuming, I mean, it takes about a week to two weeks to get a script together. And in fact, at least a week to get a script together enough to start recording. I do full scripts, but just like any kind of uh, production, uh, rewrites are usually done in recording when I find out that a line doesn't quite work. Uh, when, you know, it works in my head, but it doesn't work when I hear it out loud. But I'm trailing away from your question. Sorry. As as I stated before, I'm 55 and I'm starting to ramble now. So it's happened. <laughs> it does. It does. But going back to it, I'm I'm planning on doing seasons of five episodes at a time, but I probably will not have too long of a hiatus in between episodes, like I'm doing, or in between seasons, like I'm doing between season one and two. The reason uh, the reason I had a hiatus is because I'm actually working on a few other projects. There there was the FW sampler for one. And um, I wanted to do another Amazing World of DC Comics, FW Presents, um, but I'm actually going to put that off to between seasons two and three. But I'm actually planning a, a podcast around my experience of The Line It Is Drawn. Oh. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that, because I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Very nice. So, so you've got a second season, third season, fourth season planned out. 
I guess so, technically, yes. <laughs> you may do some other Fire and Water uh, FW Presents shows. Do you have yep. any other plans at this point for other podcasts, or uh, see how it takes you so long to do the one, or are you just going to stick with the one for now? I'm sticking with the one for now, but you know there there are times when, like like I said, there's these these individual ideas that may not be a series, but it's like you know I want to do a podcast on it, like the Amazing World of DC Comics, right. for example. So it's like um, I uh, uh, if if I ever get an idea like that, if I just come across something going, you know, hey, I I want to talk about this, then I'll put an FW presents together. The line it is drawn is going to be an FW presents thing. So that, that's the neat thing about the FW presents, um, anthology series that they developed where, where if you just have an idea, but it can't carry its own show, you can just stick it right on there. And it can also be like a backdoor pilot too. Yeah. Uh, because if, if, if somehow that, that, uh, that initial podcast germinates, it's like the first issue special (laughs) of podcasts. (laughs) That may or may not take off. I think the Warlord was the only one that got his own series. Lady Cop didn't. Did Manhunter ever get a series out of that, or maybe not? No, but Walmart. Manhunter did make an appearance in uh, Justice League. Manhunter didn't end up getting his series until after uh, until after Millennium, believe it or not. That was actually one of the that was actually one of the few good things that actually came out of Millennium. The Millennium event in 1980, was it 88? 87, 88. Yeah. The years are blurring for me now. <laughs> I used to be really good at, at what year was what. Yeah, I couldn't remember if there was a series before Mark Shaw's or not. So, yes, yeah, so the one I'm covering Mark Shaw's was the first actual Manhunter series then. That's right. And Mark Shaw did, did make that appearance that, um, that retconned the whole Manhunter um, right. cult as being the precursor to the Green Lantern Corps. Which was actually a pretty good idea, I thought. Yeah, that, that was a nice touch. Yeah. So basically, Mark Mark Shaw was like the manhunter of of Sector Two Eight One Four. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could look at it that way. <laughs> yeah, but I have a feeling that was not what Jack Kirby had in mind. No. I think I'm... Jack. I think Jack Kirby was just creating another, you know, Cobra or Secret Society or something. Yes, yeah, sounds more likely. Yes. But DC, there if it was like to tie things together, and yeah. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work as well. Yeah, so. like tying like tying Commandy and and Omac together. I don't know if that was Kirby's original plan, to be honest. I don't think it was. Probably not, but we'll never know. Yep. <laughs> so so far, like I say you've got one season in. You've done some other specials. What's been the biggest obstacle, if any, with your show as it is right now? Uh, well, let's see. I, I did say I was pretty meticulous, um, but, <laughs> it but it could also be a bad thing. Well, yeah, it, it could be. I mean, well, I'll get into that later. Let me, let me, I'll, I'll talk about why I, why I like being meticulous, to be honest. It has to do with my love of editing, but I would say finding time to record is the biggest obstacle. My, my home has very thin walls and I, I, I didn't mention this, but I, I'm actually hemiplegic. It was uh, uh, it, ba- ba- basically I I had tumors on my spinal cord a few years ago. They resulted in me having stroke-like symptoms, uh, and one 
attack got so bad, I, I actually had to get emergency surgery to get them removed. And, and while they were successfully removed, there were complications. I essentially lost most of the use of my left arm and legs. So because of that disability, I, I cannot really be left at home alone. So I have to find a time when the rest of the family is, is either doing a, uh, a quiet activity and my Solomon Grundy and Bizarro voices won't disturb them, essentially. Uh, the best time is actually when my wife is taking the kids out somewhere and it's just me and my part-time home care nurse who probably had to put up with a lot worse than from other patients than Solomon Grundy and Bizarro voices. <laughs> to, to be honest, Raul is actually totally cool with it. He actually asked me to, to have Tara Man record a, a birthday greeting for his six-year-old son the other month. Oh, very nice. <laughs> That's nice. So, so you talk. You are married. You've got kids. Yes. You got your, your disability, if you will. Uh, <laughs> it's my new. It's my new normal. Your it's new my normal. normal, and 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 it's actually a good thing. Um, I mean, I, I'm probably jumping to one of your other questions of, of what I enjoy most about podcasting. Really, is that it's a great creative outlet. It's no secret as, uh, that I used to actually draw backgrounds for Hong Kong manhwa comics. That was like my first dream job was to do work on comic books. And I already mentioned that I doodle quite a bit on the line it is drawn for comic book resources. But since I became a hemiplegic a couple of years ago, it's been just getting harder and harder for me to be drawing for extended lengths of time. Um, I still have a good use of my right hand. I can still draw fairly well. In fact, I've I've recently submitted to the line that was drawn, just not as regularly as I used to, because it's just, it's not comfortable drawing for long periods of time, as I had stated. So I've been drawing less and less, and I needed another creative outlet, and podcasting is that new outlet, because I can just sit here and talk. And the neat thing about my show is, is I get to play. I'd done character voices for radio spots and, and radio station programs when I was living in, in Southeast Asia in the mid-1990s, and I had a blast doing that. So being able to do that again with, with the Zoom crew, it, it makes this project especially fun. And getting into the characters' heads to write their script and their comic book commentary, that, that allows me to even stretch myself even further creatively. So, And then, of course, another advantage of the Zoom crew characters is that they enable me to be my own co-host, as I stated earlier. So that yeah. makes recording a podcast easy to schedule. Yeah, that's one that's on my G.I. Joe show. That's one of the problems I've had is trying to find times so I can get, you know, like we get talked about. Get everybody together. Yeah, it's like herding cats, isn't it? Yeah, it very much so, especially like we talked about. Uh, I think it was on the other, uh, during the Flash annual, yep. you give me on the West Coast, most of the podcasters I know or on the East Coast or Midwest, so yeah, it's hard to line up a time when I'm free, they're free. And like I say, having your own co-host in your head, that actually makes yeah. it easy too. So. Yeah, I heard the cats <laughs> in my head. That's what I do. And, but the downside is, is that when one of us gets a sore throat, and yes, I'm talking about you, Grundy, everyone on the show gets a sore throat. This is true. Yeah, that, that's the only downside. But but we were, but you were asking me about my family. I have a feeling yes. I know where this is going. <laughs> Uh, well, I just curious. How, how does your family? I know you try to do it mostly when they're out, when they're busy doing something else. But how, how does your family uh, feel about your podcasting? Are they supportive of it, or they they are they are supportive of it? My my wife is actually very happy that I have another creative outlet. Uh, but but there have been times when she would walk in while I'm talking like Terra Man, <laughs> and I catch her with that look, and she shakes her head on the way back out. 
<laughs> but but you know she's she's also a reader of comic books. Um, but but mostly the more sophisticated series like Sandman, and of course I share an interest in those comic books too. So so the, we have something that we can talk about. She finds the superhero comic books to be hokey and silly, and that's okay because I do too. I just. <clears throat> I just might see more charm in that hokiness than she does. That's that's all. So if you don't mind me asking, how long have you been, you been married? I have been married um, for 11 years now. Very good. Congratulations on that. Thank you. In this day and age, that, that's, a, that's a milestone. <laughs> <laughs> I, su- I, suppose, I suppose it is. And, yeah, I, I honestly don't know what I've done to deserve her, really, especially now. Before what's happened, I mean, she had to put up with a lot with me already. Now she has to put up with a lot more, but she, she's just, my kids are amazing too. Oh, that's good. That's, that's always a good thing. And your, your family supports you and they, they, they help you out and they, you know, however they can, or at least, you know, supporting you and being there when you need it. And especially yeah. what you've been through recently. Yeah. That's very good to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Um, actually my son, my son had actually taken part in my podcast by actually helping me edit the first two episodes of my show, okay. uh, mainly because he wanted to learn the craft. Right. How, how old is your son? He is now 13. He'll be 14 okay. later. Uh, he, he was, um, he was actually born before I, uh, met, well, before I started dating my wife. Right. So she, he's, he's really my stepson, but he might as well be my son. Really. No, I understand. Yeah, I've got two boys from a previous marriage. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, might as well be their her son. So right, I know exactly what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. So so. Your son's helps you out editing and stuff. Have you had you your family, your wife, or the kids, or do you plan on having them on a podcast? Or they, they interested have, in that? They have no interest in it. I I was originally thinking there there was a time when I was almost wondering, like, because I was going back to when I was ten years old to have actually my son you know, act as my, a 10 year old me right. <laughs> to talk about the comic book. And he was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. So it's like, fine, you know, you don't have to. And, and to be honest, you know, after the first two episodes, he does his own audio editing projects. So oh, okay. I, I, I'm editing my show on my own, which is fine. I, as I said, I love editing. Um, but no, and, and, and my wife definitely won't <laughs> be on there. In fact, Tara man actually joked about this during <laughs> During a listener feedback sec- uh, section, when somebody was suggesting that I have a female comic book character guest star, right? <laughs> uh, it was like, yeah, the the chances of that happening are as much the chances of 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 my wife actually taking part in my my podcast, which is true. Yeah, I got my wife on one or two episodes, but yeah, it's you did. Yeah, yeah, I got to talk, talk about Game of Thrones. She loves Game of Thrones, so I got to talk about that. And... Well, there you go. So. So speaking of wives, you said your wife does like comics to an extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that, that you got her into, or she, did you find a, a geek? <laughs> um, I actually found a geek. She she was reading uh, Sandman. Oh, okay. She was reading Sandman when she was in college. So, nice. um, and of course, I graduated college before Sandman even came out. So, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's just been some years, now. yeah. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's um, so yeah, she she was into Sandman. She was into a lot of the fantasy things. She she was into a distant soil. Uh, in fact, she had some original tabloid size black and white a distant soil when it was first published. 
those books before it was picked up by, I think it was Image later. So, in fact, I think she she ended up dropping out of uh, collecting a distant soil uh, because she didn't go to the direct comic book shops. And I ended up being able to help her complete her collection uh, oh, nice. in the first few years that we were together. So that, yeah, that was very nice. Um, so let's see, you do it shows yourself with your, your uh, mental co-host, if you will. <laughs> is, it, is there any special guests that you'd like to get on your show in the future, either, either podcasters or creators or anyone else that you would like to have on your show? Well, that's interesting because, you know, what, what what I've been doing recently, and it's been really fun, is is actually doing the Wonder Show comic book character concept with other people. For example, going back to the recent FW sampler, now available on fireandwaterpodcast.com, my, Sol- my Solomon Grundy met Chris Franklin's Solomon okay. Grundy. At first, you know, I was a little concerned about doing Solomon Grundy on my show. Um, the reason I... Put Solomon Grundy on my show is because I could do Solomon Grundy. But uh, Chris Franklin already had kind of a little Solomon Grundy bit that he did off and on. In fact, he did a, a, a brilliant one uh, for April Fools the other year where it was Solomon Grundy um, show on a Monday, which was like a fake. Uh, it was a fake uh, promo for a Solomon Grundy podcast. Yeah, I think I remember hearing that one. It was it was it was great, and I was and I was just a little concerned that I might be like stepping on his territory. But the neat thing about the podcasting community is that there are no egos, Shag Matthews notwithstanding. But there are no, there's no, uh, there's no, there's no competition, so to speak. There's no, um, there's no rivalry. We're all supporting each other's shows. We're all encouraging each other. And there was room for two Solomon Grundy's on the network, as proven by having the two Solomon Grundy's meet. And it ended up being like a almost a 10-minute segment. And it was it was a blast to do. And that FW Sampler also um, had my Elron sharing some segments with Shag Matthews, Lord Manga Khan. <laughs> Which was which was fun. I mean, even though we collaborated on the segments beforehand and a script was fully written out, I still was very surprised by the tracks that I got back from other people. Right. In fact, you know, my first teaser promo for the Wonder Show podcast was my pitching the idea to the network founders in a slideshow presentation in a conference room. And I wrote <laughs> out the script and the founders were all making this snide commentary throughout that I wasn't really supposed to hear that, that I supposedly could not hear let's put it that way <laughs> and and it was just such a thrill to see other people get into the concept and and how much it comes through on their delivery so i am planning a few episodes in season two where another person besides me will be portraying a comic book character and i'm really looking forward to recording those i again i'm not going to go into who right. what characters because again i don't want to jinx it oh yes that's right surprise yeah, pe- people dig a podcast of mystery. Yes. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you like to tell the audience about yourself that we haven't covered yet? Behind the scenes Zoom that you'd like scenes. to share with the world. <laughs> you know, the best, the you know, if you really want to, um, if you want some behind the scenes Zoom, you should just check out my, my blog. And it's not like I want to send you somewhere to just have to read. but Right. No, but but basically the reason I I I tell I tell some stories of things that happened in my life I tell 
some thoughts about certain things, but you know, it's not, it's not like political commentary or anything like that, but it's just kind of give you an idea of where I'm at and just some of the, some of the experiences that has shaped my life. I've, I've actually told the story of, uh, the first girl I have ever loved and lost. I have told the story of how I actually teamed up with the Power Rangers once in a, uh, in a shopping mall publicity event. And that has an unexpected twist that uh, Brian Cronin from CBR says that I should do a webcomic on it, and maybe I will. But you can read the whole story now if you want. It's called Protector in Pink if you're looking for it. Um, I have told the story of how I met my wife and how we got together. That was actually a series of posts. And the reason I put all those down is that, you know, when you tell a story about something that happened to you, there seems to be this natural tendency to keep embellishing it every time you tell it. And and sometimes the story just kind of diverts away from what really happened. So I wanted to just get it down once. And then, and then that saves me from having to retell the story again. So that's why I'm directing people to just go to that blog. It's at, it's at zoom, xum yukinori at blogspot.com. That's the URL. And hopefully you enjoy it. And you know what? You don't, I, I also talked about the origin of my name. Very nice. You, the who's who's pages, who's who's? who's, yeah, who's Zooms, we call it Zoom's who. Zoom's who. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have those? I know Shags posts them more with the Firestorm fan website. Yeah, most. Do you have most, them up somewhere, or I, I don't yet. I do not. Um, I think it, I, uh, some of them were on the Tumblr. I think they are all available on the Fire and Water Podcast Net, uh, Network website. But I think you have to do a search. I think you have to do a search for my name or something to find them all. I did a search on just on your name on Google, and under images it came up and. Yeah, a lot. on there also. And I just have to say, I'm looking at some of these. I love that Firestorm, the nuclear Muppets. That was for the line is drawn. The line is drawn again. Uh, I, as I said, it was a sketch challenge. The reason it's a sketch challenge is that uh, Brian Cronin, who is one of the regular writers of, of comic book resources, he's one of the regular columnists. He he would come up with a theme like mash mash a superhero with the Muppets, and then people on Twitter would send suggestions to him. They would actually tweet a suggestion to him in response to that theme. And then he would give us the list of, of tweet suggestions without the names of the people who, who um, provided them. So that we're, so it's kind of like a blind, uh, a blind uh, selection. And there would be, sometimes there'd be lists of like hundred. There was one time there was a list of like 300 possible ideas, you know, and we would just pick one and then we would draw it. So there was one where, it was uh, Honeydew and Beaker form Firestorm. So, yeah, that's where Firestorm, the nuclear Muppet, came in. And, and of course, very early on, I was doing, like, these mock comic book covers, and, and I just enjoyed doing that trade dress and and either using actual trade dress, of which I was able to get from the DC Comics style guide, or um, with the logos and such, or actually tweaking an existing one. So, yeah, so it's Firestorm, the nuclear Muppet, instead of the nuclear man. And I, and I do have to say, not to wax your car, is, uh, is that <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, Michael Bailey says, but I'm looking at some of your who's who's on the Firewater website, and uh, yes. they're great. Zoom's who's are. Yeah, I didn't come up with, uh, I originally was going to call them who's that. 
Um, and I actually came up with a logo that was Who's That. In fact, if you go to the Fire Shag, if you go to the Fire Shag entry, you'll see the Who's That logo in the corner. But then when uh, there was a suggestion on the line, it is drawn actually, where uh, it would it would be that uh, somebody actually it was like New Year's resolutions. That's what it was. And it was uh, Zoom will stop drawing DC comic characters or something like that. And that inspired me to actually do a who's who cover filled with DC comic characters, basically saying that I broke my resolution right out of the gate. And and I had a list of, of characters that I wanted to do, you know, Zoom's who entries on. And I, and I was doing them, but but. To actually do a cover, that meant I had to come up with, you know, 32 pages of entries. So I had my list and there wasn't enough. So it was like, okay, now I got to pick like seven other characters to add to this list. And, and it kind of forced me within a day to figure out, okay, who, who else am I going to do Zoom's Who entries on? And now I'm committed to it because <laughs> <laughs> I put it down in writing. Right. So I don't know oh, if you wow. see the cover there among those entries. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. That's very nice. That's, I had a blast doing looks... that, and and because it was over and because it was over the Christmas holiday, I actually had an extra week to do oh. it. So no, I did not do that in less than a week. Uh, I th- I did that in two weeks. Yeah, I don't want to say it's realistic, but it it looks very much like who's who's. Oh yeah, I, I it's very. I love how I love how George Perez would have all the characters kind of interact or react. Yeah to each other but that but that but that's where i came up with the idea of actually calling it zooms who at that point um and this was also this was also during the phase when it was it was during my 52nd year of life right and i and we're going way off the podcast thing here but i decided to challenge myself because ever since i started doing the line it is drawn back in like week 80 something i have never been able to contribute on a weekly basis there would always be a week or two that I would miss. So what was funny is that on my 52nd birthday happened to be, uh, it was, it was June 5th and it was, it was also the week when the, the new 52 from DC was actually ending and they were becoming the, the DCU YOU. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do a 52 week challenge for my 52nd year of life. And I'm going to call it the zoom 52. So you'll notice that there's a little, you'll notice on the, at least the line it is drawn version, you'll see a Zoom 52 logo on yeah, that's there. that's what I was laughing about earlier. And that's why Zoom is there. That. That's why Zoom is there, too, because th- this became an experiment. This became a, a double experiment. It was, it, was, um, it was an experiment in terms of, one, let's see if I can do this on a weekly basis. And surprisingly, I did, because I told you about how I had that attack. Right. And I was hospitalized and I lost the, well, that actually happened during the end of the Zoom 52. It happened shortly before my 53rd birthday. And yet I still managed to get those last few weeks out. So um, that that's how crazy I was and probably how distracted I wanted to make myself, I guess, when that happened. But but also part of that Zoom 52 challenge was not just getting them out on a weekly basis, but also putting in a cameo of myself in there. Every single week of the Zoom 52, I had drawn myself in there, usually in, in a uh, kind of like a, a kung fu superhero type of persona, which was called Professor Zoom. That's where the Professor Zoom name, actually the Professor Zoom name came from 
much earlier, but uh, but he was kind of a, a recurring character. And like three, four weeks in, we already started getting comments complaining. It's like, can you stop with the Zoom stuff or enough with the Zoom stuff? <laughs> so it was also kind of an experiment of how much people would put up with it. And I found out, okay, three weeks. But I was committed to it. <laughs> so I kept up with it. But, you know, there was there was a time where uh, there was one week where um, the Sandman was teamed up. And we're talking about Neil Gaiman's Sandman was teamed up with um, Detective John Munch from Homicide. Okay. I, I don't remember how the theme came up, but we, we actually had a John Munch week because one of the other artists, um, John Trumbull, was a fan of, of Homicide, Life in the Street. And John John Munch, played by Richard Belzer, was his, his favorite character. So we actually had what was called a Munch week theme on occasion. I think we had like three or four of them. So in one of those that happened during the Zoom 52, um, it was going to be John Munch and Sandman. And basically, they come across my dead body and pinned to the shirt of my dead body is a note that just says enough. So it's like, yes, I was listening. <laughs> I was I was there listening to the fans. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, I was just, while you're talking, I'm looking through your blog fascinating it's just to get lost in here one, one of these days it's just <laughs> it's very nice i definitely have people check it out well hopefully it won't be hopefully it won't be boring i i i, I basically only just tell the stories that i end up telling a, a bunch of people or that my wife loves to tell other people so i figure you know there must be something compelling about those particular stories so those are the ones i stuck with i have to admit i haven't i haven't put out anything on the blog lately uh like like over a year now it's just been um <laughs> it, I've, I've been too busy podcasting right well that's like i said like, you know you fall down that rabbit hole and well, i started with one or two podcasts and i'm doing four i was gonna do another one which didn't have time so it's, it's an addicting uh <laughs> i mean the story the story of, of uncle kenzo and and how i first got into comic books that was originally going to be a blog post um but it ended up being the first episode of done in one wonders and of course in the Sixth episode, I actually share another personal story of mine um, for about 20 some minutes. So I'm hoping that uh, but it, it, it's I, I guess, you know, sometimes the podcasting allows me to um, kind of share a little bit of myself as well as my love of comics. And, um, you know, you could always you could always uh, use the scroll bar to skip ahead if that's not really what you want to listen to. I always try and do. I mean, I'm not. Uh, what am I trying to say here? I, I guess I, I follow the philosophy of of the Fire and Water Network mantra of find your joy. And in and my version of that when I do my podcast is is I do my podcast for me. Uh, I create something that I would like and something that I would find entertaining or enjoyable. I do it for me, so I would have fun doing it. If I try to conform to what I think. Uh, an audience wants to hear or a particular type of audience wants to hear, then that becomes more stress than fun to me because I would find myself constantly second guessing what would work for other people. But but I definitely know what works for me because I've lived with myself for 55 years. So I guess, you know, if I if I was as a fledgling podcaster giving advice to aspiring podcasters out there, I would say create the podcast for you and then just put it out there. And if other people like it, that's a bonus, especially, you know, uh, if you bring joy to other people, you don't even know, as Pat Sampson from the Longbox Crusade had said 
on another episode of Behind the Podcast. I mean, creating for yourself already makes it worth it, but bringing joy to others makes it more so. Oh, very much. Like I, I, on the Pat episode or one of the other ones I've talked about, that, yeah, sometimes I do this the podcast because I want to talk about these comics. I enjoy it. It gives away for me to vent and to talk about things. And, yes. Uh, and sometimes I get, well, is it worth it? Am I talking to myself here? Is anyone else listening really? And then every once in a while I'll get an email or a message from someone says, you know, I, I really enjoyed this last episode. It meant something to me. Or, you know, and those kind of messages just, I see, like you said, we would do this ourselves even if no one else was listening. But it makes you feel good to know someone else is listening and either experience the same thing you're going through, you've gone through, or, you know, read the same comics you've read. And yep. Have some of the same thoughts. So it's just, it's, I agree 100% with you there, Zoom. Yeah. I mean, when I talked about my uncle, when I talked about my uncle Kenzo in, in episode one, I was, I have to admit, I was a little worried that it would turn a lot of people off because I, I was worried that I was going, I don't know, too personal with it. But right. uh, just just the responses that I got from that episode. And, of course, uh, even Shag Matthews says, hey, you know, put yourself out there. That's what you're doing. You know, people right. are getting people are people are not just listening to what you're saying. They want to listen to you. So. So, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to be me. And if and, you know, there is there is a comic book story that reminded me of a very tragic thing that happened in my life. So, you know, to fully understand why I appreciate this comic or why this comic book story touched me the way I it, it did, you have to know what that story is. So I have to take 20 minutes and go into it. And um, hopefully, hopefully people kind of you know, get where I'm at. Very nice. It's, it's a good way of hitting. I like that. Um, well, again, I, it's, I've had you on, on the line for a while and I think we've covered your podcasting career. Um, <laughs> Short as it was. Short as it is. That's all right. That way. It's still going. <laughs> it's still going, yes. And hopefully it's a long time. Like I've got, I'm so far on my podcast. I've got yours downloaded to listen to. I'm just trying to get caught up on everything. Oh, that's but, uh, fine. I, I, yeah. I fall down that rabbit hole of finding new night. Damn it! Don't start another podcast. I don't have time for another one. <laughs> well, that's the neat thing. That's the neat thing of doing just little five five episode seasons. Yeah. And, and to be honest, these kind of I mean, they're, they're done in one wonders, but you know, they they kind of connect a little bit. It, it, you appreciate it more if you actually listen to them in order. In season two, um, with the exception of the first episode of season two, which is episode six, you know, they don't have to be listened in in a particular order. I was setting up the continuity of the show, essentially, with with those first five episodes. So now that that's been established, you know, it it's going to be almost like you know any kind of, you know, like Flintstones cartoon. You can watch them in any you can watch them in any order. They don't really they're not necessarily going to be referring to each other right. as much as as my first five episodes do. Right. Well, thank you very much for, for stopping and talking with me. I, like I said last time, I enjoy listening to your voice. Uh, as she was saying, Shag said, yeah, you got a very good voice for podcasting. Uh, <laughs> but where can people, we've kind of covered this on and off throughout the show, but if people want to, do you want to go to your, your blog or listen to your show, uh, where can they find you? Sure. Final plug for everything. Yeah, sure. Um, again, at the Fire and Water Podcast Network, you can do a search. You can do a keyword search for Zoom Yukonori or Professor Zoom, X-U-M, and it'll pull up. Um, it should pull up all of the podcasts that I had done. 
which is mostly the Done in One Wonders podcast wonder show, as well as episodes of Film and Water and Fire, uh, Fire and Water and uh, Treasury Cast, Pod Dylan, Saturday Morning Fever. We actually, I actually uh, talked with Rob Kelly much longer than he planned to about um, about a Sid and Marty Croft show called Far Out Space Nuts. Episode. I enjoyed that that TV show. Oh, good. That makes two of us. <laughs> there's, there's. I think there's like three other people out there in in the universe that that enjoyed that show too. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed all that said in Marty Croft. I, I love the, the Far Out Space Space Nuts. Yes, yeah. Far Out Space Nuts. That yeah. That's so a great show. yeah, he Rob Rob thought it was only going to be like a ten minute show, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what happens when you pop. Yeah, you start. Oh, it's just gonna take 10, 20 minutes. I'll be done. Yeah. Two hours later, uh, what were we talking about again? <laughs> right. So, fire, fireandwaterpodcast.com is where you can find those, and um, and then of course my blog spot, zoom yukinori at blogspot.com. It is called Omelette au Fromage because they're basically cheesy thoughts from my brain, and um, I am also. Uh, a semi-regular contributor to the line it is drawn, which is on CBR.com. Um, I think if you just go there and then type in line, it is drawn, just like the the Bob Dylan line, uh, in the search engine, it should um, it should pull all of those up. Well, again, I want to thank you very much for for taking time out of your night to talk with me. Uh, for appearing on my show once again. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. I, I think this behind the podcast is uh, is a neat concept. Well, thank you. Like I talked about it before, it was uh, Adam Worse I did for his show, and he wasn't going to use it beyond that. He said, I, you mind if I use this? Go for it. I'm like, right on. So, yeah, maybe, <laughs> tell, so. maybe someday I'll have a successor to the Done in One Wonders podcast <laughs> member show. You never know what will happen. But, you know, I, even if I have imitators, I welcome them because, you know, we want to so. we want to enrich the podcasting community. Oh, very much so. Well, again, thank you very much for appearing. And let's hope we can talk about something else one of these days on one of the shows or something. Sure. I enjoy talking with you. Thank and you. And as we said earlier, both be on the West Coast. It makes it easier to connect up. <laughs> that is that is true. At least it's not like somebody is like trying to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> it's most of my guys. 
it's, it's one o'clock in the morning. Are we done yet? Are we still doing this thing? Yep. <laughs> hey, Johnny Carson had that problem. He had to he had to make those chairs uncomfortable just to keep his guests from falling asleep when they flew in from California to New York. <laughs> or was it from New York to California? I think it was from New York to California. I'm getting my getting my time zones mixed up. I see Johnny Carson in years. He's watching once in a while. Anyways, that's another top entirely. It is. You can uh, edit all that out. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy that kind of stuff. Well, again, thank you very much for joining me. Sure. Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. It was a blast. Thank you.